I love Christmas for many, many things. And I want to ask you to think for just a little bit about why you would love Christmas. Just think about that. What is so special about Christmas? I hope that we all end up with looking at Jesus Christ. But I know we look at so many other things. I actually, I haven't felt well this week, but yesterday I was feeling better and I worked for a while and then I went out shopping for a little bit. Oh, that's amazing, folks. I wish that I'd have just stayed in my bedroom. <laughs> but I was pleased to see some of the other people and uh, I found a present for myself. Yes, I did. Now, I'm going to give her something, I promise. We've already worked that out. And then I found a nice gift for both of us. Now, isn't that, see, Mickey gets something, Don gets something, and both of us get something. Sounds balanced to me. But what about gifts? Is that one of the main things that you think about? Well, sometimes we do. We all like nice things. And hopefully you share nice things, you get nice, nice things, and in, at Christmas time, some of your loved ones will give you nice things. And so I'm not opposed to gifts, but I want to make a point here that sometimes gifts take our eyes away from the deeper gifts. Now I want you to think with me for just a little bit, because deeper gifts... I believe are what I would call emotional, relational, spiritual gifts. Now, we're going to talk a little bit. I'm going to share a couple of stories about some material gifts. So I understand that sometimes those material gifts are very nice, but when I say emotional, relational, spiritual gifts, some of you were here last Christmas Day. And we were right here in this room, this place where we celebrate and worship. And I asked the whole group to share some emotional, spiritual, rel relational gifts. And we spent about 30 or 45 minutes just handing gifts back and forth. I would call them love gifts, family gifts, uh, brother-sisterhood kind of gifts where when you are able to give something to those people that you love, for me that becomes the most important kind of gifts. And of course the most important gift is what we're going to talk more about here in just a little bit. But let me go back to the material gifts for just a moment because I know all of us are... Well, I imagine as I look around, most of us are grown up, meaning we've got some age on us. Now, I, yeah, I see some of you saying, yeah, he really does. <laughs> and that's okay. But I still remember when I was younger. Do you? Do you remember when you were younger and you looked forward to Christmas? You looked forward to that gift that you wanted. You look forward to what was going to come 
out there by the Christmas tree. Well, I did too. And so those material gifts, I remember the day that I got a red and white roadster bicycle. I was probably eight years old. It had one of those tanks on the crossbars on the bicycle, and it had a a little horn on it. Folks, I rode around the neighborhood thinking I was the biggest guy in town because I had that red and white roadster bicycle. And then uh, I also remember getting, now this is an unusual one, I got a bullwhip. Yes, I knew you were going to do that. Say, what kind of family did he come from? And no, my mom and dad didn't use the bullwhip on me, okay? They got it for me. And here is part of my childhood, because I was a Lash LaRue fan. Now, I want to know how many people in this group, I want you to hold your hand up, if you've ever heard of Lash LaRue. Ah, there are a few fans here. Lash LaRue was a Western star, Uh, back in the 40s and 50s, and he was on film and so forth, and he carried a bullwhip and used that bullwhip in the films. I saw Lash LaRue in a live performance one time, and he did all sorts of tricks. Now, you'll have to stay with me to understand this next one because we don't have Coke bottles like this anymore. But they used to be real heavy glass Coke bottles with the caps on them that were metal. Well, Lash LaRue would set one of those on a stage and back off with a 12-foot bullwhip and take the top off of that Coke bottle. Just like that. Now, as a kid, that was the most fascinating thing in the world to me. And I worked really hard for the next four or five years trying to take that top off the Coke bottle. And I broke a lot of Coke bottles. But you know what? The only way I could get that Coke bottle top off was to get one of those and take the top off the way it's supposed to. But because of that, my folks knew that I was fascinated with all that and they got me a bullwhip. And then one other, and then I'll not bore you with these stories anymore, but I remember when I, my folks, my dad particularly, gave me a first baseman's mitt, a baseball glove. I was, had to be when I turned 10 years old. My dad was a great man, fine, fine, Christian, godly man, and he took good care of me for which I'm very thankful. And he wanted me so badly to be a good baseball player. And he taught me, and he practiced with me, and he worked with me. And when I was 10 years old, he got me this very fine first baseman's mitt because he was designing me to play first base. And the fact is, is that my dad was a, frustrated baseball player and he was vicariously living through his number one son 
And that was okay with me because I love playing baseball. He even made me a field in the neighborhood in which we live. He found a vacant lot and he created the field. But when I was 10 years old, the reason he got me this nice first baseman hit is because that would be my first big year of big league, small league, you know, children's league or youth league, uh, little league, because they were 10, 11, and 12, and my dad wanted me to perform. Got this great baseball mitt. I loved it. Christmas time, played with his son, played catch with him, played catch with him. Spring came along, we went and started having practice for Little League. And somebody stole it. Yes. I had laid it down beside the back screen while I was at bat, turned around, and it was gone. I was broken-hearted, and so was my dad. But it took him about an hour or two to go get me another one. And fortunately, I went on and played uh, that year as a 10-year-old and did very well, made my first all-star team, and my dad was very happy. Now, why do I tell you those stories? Because all of us have some of those kinds of stories, and it's part of our Christmas memories, and I wanted to share something like that with you today. But even though that bicycle and that bullwhip and that baseball glove was very meaningful to me, I loved them, I enjoyed them, I grew up. And the things that I have been given all the way to where we sit here today have become so much more meaningful to me, and I pray that so be it to you. Now today, we're going to talk about the greatest gift that I know of, and that is the love of Jesus Christ and all that it brings and all of what he gives, and I'm so thrilled for what we heard in the Advent lighting just a few minutes ago about the love of Jesus Christ and what you and I have the privilege of receiving, if we will, from the, the Spirit and the presence of Jesus in our lives. Now, you know that this love was demonstrated on a cold cruel, horrible tool of execution called the cross. And so the paradox of our Christian faith is, is that we're talking this morning and we're celebrating the fact of the love of Jesus Christ as that very special emotional, relational, spiritual gift. But it happened because of this terrible instrument called the cross. And the fact is, is that that cross was brutal. It was horrible. It was terrible. And 
in the midst of our celebration, I cannot not talk about this brutality that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ suffered as he gave us himself and his love. Do you realize, and you've thought about this, maybe you've studied it, but the cross was one of the most terrible methods of execution in the ancient world. And it was used almost totally for slaves and disgraced soldiers and terrible, terrible criminals. And today we're talking about this cross, this method of execution being imposed on Jesus Christ our Lord. But the paradox is very real. The comparison is very real. Because the method was horrible. The method was brutal. The method, method was terrible. Yet the gift of love is amazing. Now, I want you to understand that I just said the past tense and the present and future tense. The method was... That's what happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ willingly gave himself to be placed on that cross. Why? Because of his love for you and me. And we will talk specifically about that in just a moment through Scripture. But he gave himself. They didn't kill him. He willingly went to the cross. And so the method was that horrible, brutal, terrible picture of a cross. But the love is, that means now and ongoing, the love is the most special gift that you and I can receive. And at that point I would even say, we have a wonderful crowd here this morning, which I'm thrilled about. And if there's anyone in this crowd that does not know Jesus Christ, that does not live in the midst of the love and security and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, then before you leave this building today, there are several of us, myself, our staff, our deacons, many of our good lay people, that would be very glad to talk with you about the truth of this gift of love through Jesus Christ. Because it is the most special thing in the world. And we're going to go to scripture here and look at what God's word says about some of this. Because it was even prophesied in the book of Isaiah. Now this passage of scripture is not totally beautiful. It's got some harsh things in it. Because... This is part of what Jesus Christ suffered. But this is 750 years. I want you to hear this. This passage of scripture was written and spoken 750 years before Jesus was ever born. And so we look at Isaiah 53 verses 1 through 6. And it's on the screen behind me. And it says, 
who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot. Now he, who is the he there? Jesus Christ, the Lord. This is prophesied about the Messiah that came as the baby that we celebrated Christmas, but that came as the Savior to the world. So he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of the dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to, to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. Now think about that for just a moment. This scripture prophesying, we're reading it in our celebration. But the indication is, is that this whole thing was rejected by men. It's still rejected by men. I pray it's not rejected by any of the men or women in this room right now. That's my main concern. That we celebrate the truth of Jesus Christ. But it says, He, the Lord, was despised and rejected by man. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces. Okay, my question to you right there is, do you hide your face from Jesus Christ? Yes, this is a time of celebration, but it's also a time of challenge. It's a time of examination for you and me. Because we celebrate when we live in the reality and in the truth of Jesus Christ. If right now, even in your Christian faith, if you're hiding your face from Jesus Christ, then the celebration is not fulfilled. It's just plain and simple. If we hide, and it says that he was like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Do I esteem him? That means do I respect him? Do I offer him my allegiance? Do I see him? in a sense of awe, of reverence, of commitment. That's being in a spirit of esteeming Jesus Christ. But it says that many people esteemed him not. But even with this whole situation where he was despised, he was rejected, he was dismissed, he was hidden from, it goes on to say there, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Listen to these words. This is the truth of the brutality of that cross that I mentioned a moment ago. This is foundation for us to be able to celebrate. If we accept and if we live in this reality, it says that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for what? Because he did wrong? Because he was bad? Because he sinned? No. He was sinless 
He was crushed for our iniquities. Let's make it even more personal. He was crushed for my iniquities, my sin, my wrongdoing, your wrongdoing, all of our wrongdoing. That's why he went to the cross because of his love. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. That, that phrase right there when I read this scripture, that phrase may be the most stinging phrase here. Because I love peace. I hope you do. And it is a fact that in our relationship with Jesus Christ, we are given perfect peace. If we will just take it. And yet sometimes I see in myself and in all of us, we live in turmoil, we live in anxiety, we live in all sorts of anguish. But it says here that the punishment that brought us peace or that brought me peace was upon him. Now what that means to me is is that for me to be a man of peace, he had to be punished. Not me. Not you, him, because of his love for you and me. So the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Now the fact is, and where we're going with this message, and I trust that you will go there with me, is that we're looking totally at the fact that Jesus Christ loves you and loves me. And He loves us. That's what this day is all about. That's what He is all about. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what we saw in the Advent just a moment ago. And so, He loves us. His punishment brought us peace. That's what the Scriptures just said. And so, if you're sitting here right now not believing that God loves you, I want you to pay close attention as we go through the next few minutes. And even in the love that he gives us, this next phrase is convicting. But we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now please realize... As I've said many times, as I sit here and stand here before you and live with you and talk with you, we're supposed to take these things personally. We cannot take them generally. And so the fact is, is that number one, he loves us. Number two, he's gone to the cross for us. And we are to pay attention to that and live in his love. Now, that that I've just read to you is Old Testament. We believe it. It is scriptural. It is the Bible. It is a prophecy of inaccuracy as to what Jesus Christ went through as he went to the cross. But now I turn to Romans 5.8. And I want you to look at this because 
This is a continuing statement of the love of Jesus Christ for you and me. And it's very simply stated. It's a well-known verse. If you don't know it, then highlight it. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. Now, I want you to stop there, and I want you to think, because in the next few minutes we're going to meditate. We're going to consider. But it says, God demonstrated his own love to us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I want you to think about that. And yeah, I would like for everybody to say amen. Because the fact is, is that the statement is, is that God is given his demonstration of absolute love. And we didn't have to do a thing. While we were still sinners. Jesus Christ came here and died for us. And he died for us on that terrible cross. And we look at the verse in Hebrews. We look at Hebrews, the 12th chapter. And it says that we are fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ. The pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him. Now, just stop and look at that phrase for a moment. Remember what I said about the cruel, cold, brutal method of execution. The horrible experience. Think about what Jesus Christ went through. And here this scripture is saying, for the joy set before him. Now that's a ridiculous statement. Think about yourself. Think about if you were despised, if you were rejected, if all of your friends had walked away from you, if you were being beaten and spit upon and ridiculed and all that Jesus Christ went through. Does that sound like a joyful experience? Not at all. So why in the world would Scripture say, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The reason that he went to the cross with joy, and I believe that he did, in all of the agony, but he went to the cross with joy because he loves us. He loves you. He loves me. That's the message of this celebration today. Now I want you to consider these passages. I want you to consider what I've already said to you. I want you to examine yourself and look at whether or not you really, really deeply, truly, absolutely believe what we're saying and what Scripture is saying. And now I want to share some other Scriptures with you and I'm going to ask them to raise the screen behind me because these are not on the screen and I want you to, to move into a time of meditation. Now what does that mean? That means I want you to think. I want you to ponder this whole concept of the, the wonderful absolute gift of the love that is represented by this cross 
that is Christmas. The cross is there. The cross is a part of our Christmas celebration. And the love that Jesus Christ has given us. So I'm going to read very slowly. I pray thoughtfully some passages of Scripture. And I want you to just meditate. Please, I beg you, immerse yourself in what these words say. Because it again proves to you and me that He loves us. And that's the foundation for our celebration today. I'm reading for you right now from Galatians, the second chapter, verse 20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Now that last phrase is what I want you to think about. In fact, I want you to think about all of it because it says I've been crucified with Christ. I am joining him in this whole experience of love because he loved me and gave himself up for me. Go back to Romans 5.8. While we were yet sinners, he, Christ died for us. <coughs> and the fact is, is that now we can live with him because he loves us and gave himself up. Galatians 2.20. Please think on that for a moment. And then Romans 8.35. A very well-known passage, but it is so poignant and powerful for every one of us. Romans 8.35 says this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I'm stopping on purpose there for a moment because I want you to think about that. Meditate, concentrate. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who, what? Who loves us. In all things, we're more than conquerors. Are you a conqueror? Are you a victorious person? Are you defeated? In the love of Jesus Christ, it says that we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, do you hear that? Do you live in that? That is victory. That is victory in this life that is hard. That is victory in this life that has all sorts of struggles. You celebrate this because Jesus Christ loves us. And then we are victorious. And it says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, 
neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all of creation. Folks, that pretty wraps up everything. And nothing in that everything will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And nothing can separate you from the love that we celebrate here today. That we celebrate as Christian people. Now what is this love like? What is God's love like? What does he show us as he loves us through Jesus Christ? There's a passage of Scripture that's called the Love Chapter. Somebody tell me what it is. First, but we were close. First Corinthians chapter 13. It's called the Love Chapter. Now, a lot of times it's used in marriages, and a lot of times it's used to talk about how we need to love each other, and I'm totally in favor of all of that. Because absolutely husbands and wives need to love each other in this way. And being a marriage counselor for 50 years, I have taught this, I've taught this, I've taught this, and I've taught this. And fortunately some people have taken it. And their marriages have been better. But also it's a demonstration, it's a statement of the kind of, God, the kind of love that Almighty God gives to you and me through Jesus Christ. Because we are living in this kind of security that 1 Corinthians 13 says, and listen carefully as I read it. I, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have the faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is the top of this. It goes on to say, love is patient. Now remember, this is a part of the demonstration, a statement of God's love through Jesus Christ for you and me. We live in this kind of spirit if, if, if we would just take it in. If we will experience it. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. And now these three things remain, though, and that is faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Therefore, and listen to this last phrase. Some translations put this in. Therefore, let love be your greatest aim. Where do we get that love? Not from yourself. You and I are selfish, sinful creatures. And I love you. I love human beings. And I love for us to love each other. 
because that's part of the Christian faith. But we don't get this kind of love in ourselves. We get this kind of love because He loves us. And that's what we're celebrating today. That's what Christmas is. That's what is being said is this. Now I'm going to tell you a story here for just a moment, a quick one that is about a man by the name of Karl Barth. Maybe you've heard of him. In the 1900s, Karl Barth was one of the highest, most respected theologians in the world. Well known in every corner. Well known in the church, in the kingdom of God. Well known in academia. Well known over and over and over. And sought out by people to understand more about the ways of God. And it's told that Dr. Bart was in a very powerful conference seminar with some of the rest of the theologians of the world. Very powerful thinkers, scholars, but hopefully most of them godly people, Christian people. And somebody asked Dr. Bart, what's the most poignant powerful, meaningful statement that has ever been said within the Christian journey. Well, it's said that Dr. Bart kind of leaned back in his chair, didn't say anything for two or three minutes, and everybody else sat on the edge of their chair. Because this question had been asked about the man that would know What is the most powerful thing that has ever been said in the Christian faith? And finally, Dr. Bart sat up on the edge of his chair and he looked around at this group of scholars and intelligent men and women and he said, the most powerful thing that I've ever heard in the Christian faith is Jesus Christ loves me The Bible tells me so. And he sat back and said nothing else for a while. Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. So, my question in the midst of this wonderful day of celebration, beautiful music, Beautiful people, an amazing crowd gathered here at King's Rent Baptist Church. Is do you and I live in the depth of the love of Jesus Christ? Now that's a very, very difficult question. Because we live in all sorts of things. And many of the things that we live in are very, very good. But the most good, the best of the whole list, is the love of Jesus Christ. Do we, do you, and I'm asking myself, and I'm asking all of us to take this personally. And what a beautiful time to consider this. 
it's Christmas. Yeah, it's a man's holiday, but I celebrate it as a godly holiday. And I know you do too, or you wouldn't be here. But do we live, do I live, in the reality and in the depth of this kind of love? Now, I don't even know that we can, can fashion it or fathom it or uh, describe it. And I think only through the presence of Jesus Christ in our life and therefore the Holy Spirit in my life and in your life can we have this kind of love and this kind of, of lifestyle. It is a goal toward which we work. Now we'll never make it. <laughs> we'll never be perfect in it. He is. We're not. But do we strive? Do we immerse ourselves? Do we diligently seek this kind of loving relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ? I hope so. Now I'm about to conclude these statements. I thank you for listening. I believe in what I'm saying. I believe in what I've read. I'm not going to tell you that I'm perfect. I am not. I'm not going to tell you that I've attained. I haven't. However, I do say to the Lord and to this wonderful group of people gathered here that I am on the journey. And I pray that you are also.